So I want to introduce you all. Thank you, by the way, uh, for that um, way to invite the spirit and, uh, of, of hope and joy and love into our atmosphere, as Reverend Camille um, shares with us. So I want to introduce you to my friend, my new friend, uh, over the last month. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, this is Reverend Camille Henderson Edwards. And uh, Reverend Camille is, let me get your title right, the Director for Economic Health and Gender Justice for the United Methodist Church. Yes. Uh, and that is based in Washington, D.C., which where she has been for a couple years, but yeah. she grew up here in Delaware, and then she was an associate pastor down in Atlanta, Georgia, Atlanta. Yeah. for over a decade. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So you say it like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's making us sound old. Oh, I know my. Okay. Uh, so, so anyways, uh, Reverend Camille and I met uh, at the Freedom Fund Banquet of yeah. the NAACP, um, and I had known about her a little bit um, earlier from Florine and been excited about the opportunity. And so when we began uh, an Advent series on Shalom, yeah. knowing what Reverend Camille's work is, uh, I thought on a, just went out on a limb and just hoped that maybe she'd be available this week in the middle of our, of our um, series to, uh, to share about her work. But, um, but she is a really insightful and compassionate Jesus follower that we connected uh, pretty quickly um, on. And, uh, and she is, her job is really to create goodness in the world and um, ensuring God's church is specifically a way for women, a place yes. for women to truly flourish yeah. um, with their God-given gifts and in freedom, yeah. which is really exciting. So she's going to share a little bit more of, of her work, um, but, uh, but I'm excited for you just to share an important aspect of God's heart for Shalom yeah. as, we, as we talk about uh, this overarching, overarching theme that we see throughout all of the scriptures and certainly in the beginning of the story. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Lord be with Reverend Camille and her words as she shares with us, and we thank you for the gift of, uh, of being able to be blessed with her and um, be encouraged this morning to keep our eyes on you and work for good. Amen. 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 Well, good morning. I want to uh, thank first my family. When Pastor Keith sent the invitation, uh, this was not uh, a caravan. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, at the behest of my grandmother, moved by the Holy Spirit, five minutes before service, <laughs> um, she made the request, and as you saw is her custom, uh, she alerted my cousin as he was walking up here. And so um, we thank you and we give thanks for you in your ministry. Um, I also want to acknowledge my aunt is here, Wilma Jones. I want to thank you for being here. Um, and family, friends, family that feels like friend, friends that feel like family, Cammie and Rob, um, for they have been a part of my community for some years now, and so I'm grateful for uh, you all as well. Um, and to Pastor Keith, thank you for the invitation. I know that uh, our paths will cross later on down the road as well, but I'm excited to join you all in this time of worship um, where I want to talk on the subject of seeking justice and pursuing peace. I know that you all have been in this sermon series of Shalom, Another World Possible. And so it is part of my ministry and my calling to look at how we insert matters of justice, not really insert, because I do feel, do believe that the ministry to which we are called is in fact an act of justice in itself. 
And so I want to read for your uh, hearing this morning our focus scripture, which is the book of Luke, the first chapter. And I believe you all have engaged with this sometime before already. The book of Luke, the first chapter, verse 46 through 55. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. It reads, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For God has looked with favor on the lowliness of God's servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is God's name. God's mercy is for those who fear God from generation to generation. God has shown strength with God's arm. God has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. God has helped God's servant Israel in remembrance of God's mercy, according to the promise God made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to God's descendants forever. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Again, I am elated to join you all on this, your collective journey of expanding your imagination right, to embrace shalom. And I have been intrigued by this sermon series because in the title, it assumes that embracing shalom is not just simply a mere call for the absence of chaos, a call for peace, but it implicates our participation in bringing that about, a world of radical peace, and inclusion. This notion of shalom is not simply the absence of chaos. It is a state of wholeness, a state of completeness, a state of, of flourishing. It is the state of attaining health and safety. To embrace shalom is to imagine a world in which all have access to comprehensive health care. To embrace shalom is to imagine a world in which all have access to affordable housing. To embrace shalom is to imagine a world in which uh, all have access to nutritious food, where parents don't have to make a decision to feed themselves or to feed their children. To embrace shalom is to imagine a world where existing while black and sleeping while black and walking while black and dancing while black is not a death sentence. To embrace shalom is to imagine a world where birthing people have access and autonomy to their own bodies. Shalom is a matter of, of radical peace. And so, I believe it timely that our paths have crossed at, at this time because 
to do the work that you all have collectively set out to do uh, is to do this work of ministry through a lens of social justice. Can I tell you what I mean? Are you with me? My own call to ministry is through this lens. I stand at the intersection of faith and advocacy. I serve uh, at the General Board of Church and Society of the United Methodist Church, where we are one of 13 agencies of the United Methodist Church. And our role is to essentially serve as the justice-seeking arm of the church. We work with decision makers in the United States government, within the United Nations, and faith coalition partners around the world. And of late, my ministry has been uh, consisting of examining matters of gender justice through the program that we are doing called Letters to My Daughters. If you would share with us Letters to My Daughters. This is the graphic that has been going around. It has been uh, a deep pleasure of mine. The woman that you see here is my great-grandmother. The woman who sang, that's her mother. And so Letters to My Daughters began as this virtual Bible study that examined the intersection of faith and advocacy as it related to issues of black maternal health. Did you know that the United States has the highest rate of maternal mortality in the world among industrialized nations. Did you know that layered on top of that, black women are three to four times more likely to die in childbirth than white women? Did you know that the CDC released data in the past couple of months that stated that between 2017 and 2019, 85% of the deaths that happened could have been prevented? That means we are making a choice. And so, Letters to My Daughter set out to do the ministry with a lens of social justice by equipping the church to better respond to this issue because when was the last time that the church spoke out about the fact that black women are dying? And so, we are here at this intersection of seeking justice and pursuing peace. And given this intersection, I would not be operating in the fullness of my call if I did not talk about the women by way of challenging you to expand your prophetic imagination. I would not be operating in the fullness of my call if we did not examine this, this Christological message by way of the experiences of the women. What was Christ trying to tell us by being born of a woman? I would not be operating in the fullness of my call if we did not look at this story specifically uh, by way of the experiences of two birthing women, one named Mary and the other named Elizabeth. And so I'm glad that our paths are crossed on this morning, the path of seeking justice and pursuing peace, uh, because it is at this intersection that we find Mary and Elizabeth are bringing forth for us this Christological message of how to prepare for peace. Our focus text this morning is Mary's song, but to truly appreciate what is happening in Mary's story, you have to look at the verses before Mary's song. The beautiful thing about Mary's story is that it does not begin 
at Mary's story. Mary is preparing for the coming of Christ, quite literally to birth Christ into being. But her story begins with Elizabeth. Elizabeth, who is her older cousin, Elizabeth's story begins in the text by way of her husband, Zechariah. Zechariah, who is performing his priestly duties in the temple, is alone, and the angel of the Lord greets him and, and says, fear not. He informs him that Elizabeth, his wife, will have a child. Now, Elizabeth is up in age, and Zechariah says, surely, you tripping. <laughs> that, it just doesn't happen that way. We've waited all of our lives to bear our children. Uh, the social context in ancient Israel quite literally places value on your ability to have children. And we just simply gave up. You tripping. And so by way of Zechariah's disbelief, the angel of the Lord renders Zechariah mute. He can't talk for the entire duration of Elizabeth's pregnancy. I know that for some, that might be your prayer. <laughs> but but Zechariah is rendered mute. And so while Elizabeth is holding this miracle, her, her, her story begins such that John, when John is born, is given this purpose to prepare the way of the coming of the king. Do you see how their stories are connected? The miracle at work in Elizabeth is quite literally connected to the miracle at work in Mary. That should be a word for someone here because the miracle at work in you might very well be connected to the miracle at work in another person. The miracle at work in this life path church is quite literally connected to the miracle at work in this educational system. Do you see how stories can be connected? And so, when Elizabeth is six months pregnant, in, uh, into her pregnancy, Mary uh, begins a, a similar journey. She is greeted by the angel of the Lord. The text says that, that the angel Gabriel was sent by God uh, to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph. But the angel of the Lord appeared to Mary and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. And her immediate response was one of confusion. Who are you? How did you get into my house? What are you talking about? I don't know you. Security. <laughs> Greetings, favored one. I have a message for you. And, and her response is, confusion. The text says that she was perplexed by the angel's words and pondered what sort of greeting this was. And you know, something stood out to me that I had not yet considered until going through this work of justice and rereading Mary's story, that Mary's confusion was not mitigated 
until the angel of the Lord told her of the miracle that was already at work in Elizabeth. That because Elizabeth, the woman who had accepted barrenness, was now pregnant with child, because that was happening in Elizabeth's story, Mary was fortified in her own story. The story of Elizabeth's miracle gave way for Mary to accept and prepare for the peace that was to come. Can I tell you how I know this to be true? Are you with me? By way of letters to my daughters, central to this program was the notion of centering the lived experiences of the women, the girls, the femmes who came before us, uh, specifically around this issue of black maternal health. Each month I was joined in conversation uh, with women uh, who were coming to share of their stories some traumatic stories, some difficult stories, but their lived expertise, no less, around maternal and reproductive health. And I would often invite additional women to write in letters to their literal or figurative daughters, sharing of their experiences and of the wisdom they hope to pass to this next generation. And each month, in response to these women's stories being told, there was always some response of, I had no idea. I did not know that it was like this. I'm just now hearing about this, but I want to go and do a different thing. Because these women have courageously told their story, they were in turn empowering others to go about a different way. A large factor that contributes to black maternal health, specifically within the United States, is medical bias in the uh, medical system. The fact that there are black women advocating for themselves, that they are expressing pain, that they are in touch with their bodies, that they are saying that something is wrong and they are met with no, that's just the way that it is. And so to tell of a story saying that I have been through this thing and this is what it felt like, this is how I advocated for myself, that in way gave space for another person to learn of that experience and to expect that, to learn how to advocate for themselves in a different way. Because one woman told her story of how she had to advocate for herself to receive care that served as an example for another woman to do the same thing. Your story is connected to another person's journey. But if we are to talk about story, then we must also talk about those factors that are hindering our stories. My finding has been that seldom do we talk about stories of women at large, but also in the church. Seldom do we have spaces for women, girls, and femmes to feel comfortable enough to share their stories. Certainly, for black women, we come from this culture of not talking about our bodies. 
And layered on top of this is the prevalence of trauma among black women that also inhibits one's ability to tell her story. Do you see the factors that are contributing to the fact that we don't tell the full story? The fact of the matter is that there are so many stories to be told, stories of how the Lord has worked a miracle in your life, stories of how the Lord has made a way when there was no way, stories of how God has opened doors that you've once thought were closed, stories of how paths were made straight, stories of how you have overcome and made it through, stories that are specific to your lived realities. The story must be told, and yet there are so many factors that hinder us from telling those stories. In the text, Mary is not affirmed until she hears of her cousin Elizabeth's story. And the text says that Mary sets out with haste to a, to a Judean town in the hill country. And this, this word that is used for her of setting out to go see Elizabeth is not one where she is going simply to tell Elizabeth about her life. It is one that notes that Mary is going to Elizabeth in search of wisdom. And when Mary arrives and greets Elizabeth, John, who is in Elizabeth's womb, leaps and Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and tells Mary, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. We must begin to tell the whole story, the truth to the story, nothing but the story, for it is in the telling of the story it is in the reclamation of our truth that we may take first steps in preparing for the peace that is to come. So the first thing that Mary and Elizabeth uh, reveal in their preparation for the arrival of peace is to tell their story and the truthfulness of their story. But then the second thing that I submit to you is, is to recall what God has done in anticipation of what God will do. Mary does this. Look at her response. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for God has looked with favor on the lowliness of God's servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is God's name. Now, I'm not sure about how you read that text initially. But when I read the text, I said, Mary, why are you so excited? <laughs> like, what is happening in the text to render a response from you in this way? Like, I know she has just come to terms with carrying the whole Messiah and stuff, you know, but Mary is speaking of things that have not happened yet. She was just told that she is bearing this son. And she goes to her cousin's house to seek wisdom, but like, ain't you doing a lot? Did you, did you read that when you read the text? Where is the excitement coming from? And so in Mary's song, it is very much her saying these things in anticipation of the role that she will play in bringing forth the coming of Christ. So 
How did she know then what was yet to come? And this is when paying attention to the text is important. Because if you look closely, you will see that all the things that she's saying of God's activity is in past tense. God has shown strength with God's arm. God has brought down the powerful from their thrones. God has filled the hungry with good things. God has helped God's servant Israel. And you know, anytime that I see this happening in the text, I am convinced that a very specific thing is happening, a very specific thing is taking place. I've spoke on this before, and I will continue to speak on it. It's just a moment of, of aha that I had. And it came when I was watching the Senate confirmation of now Justice Katanji Brown Jackson. It really stuck with me. As Senator Neely Kennedy uh, began to ask Justice Jackson uh, certain questions uh, during the Senate confirmation, the Senator, he said, Judge, how will we know that we need you to be the Supreme Court justice that we need you to be? Or how will we know that you will be that thing? How will we know that you will uphold your duty in the future? How will we know that you will act a certain way even though you are standing before us now? To which Judge Jackson responded. She said, Senator, check my record. I had not considered that before. Like, you know it's a thing, and it happens and exists. But when she said that, I said, oh my gosh, check the record. As she began to recall uh, her many qualifications, I began to think, maybe that's it. That because Mary had seen God move in the past, Mary could check God's record and be assured that God would move even now. Can I tell you that there is someone who is sitting in struggle and turmoil and distress and you've been looking for God solely to ask, God, how will you know that you will act on my behalf? How will you know, how will I know that you will be that form of radical peace for me? And God told me to tell you, check God's record. I promise you. It's undefeated. Check God's record and recall to mind how God has shown up for you over and over and over and over again. Check the record and you'll see that God has made a way out of no way for you already. Check God's record and you'll see that God has already healed your body and steadied your mind. Check God's record and you'll see that God has already protected you from danger seen and unseen. Check God's record and you'll see that God has already ordered your steps. Check God's record, and you will see that God has already provided a ram in the bush. And if there is one thing that I know about the God that I serve, it is that God is faithful. It is that God is consistent. And the same God who delivered you before is the same God who will deliver you in the days to come. Mary, perhaps, was checking God's record to recall the activity of God, which in turn fueled her imagination 
to imagine a world that was indeed possible. That's maybe where her excitement came from. That recalling the activity of God, she saw very well what her role was in the coming of this radical peace. Check God's record and you will see that God has been faithful. If, if God was able to do it for you in one context, surely God is able uh, to do it for you and not only for you, but through you in this one. And so when assured by the faithfulness of God, we are fueled and we can identify our role in the pursuit of peace, right? That is the task before us this morning. That is the, the task before us in this sermon series. And we know that peace is coming. It's on the way. That's what this season of Advent is for, the anticipation of peace. And instead of standing idly by, we are actively working to prepare ye the way of the Lord. And part of that work requires that we tell our story Part of that work requires that we recall the activity of God, that, that we check the record of God uh, to see what God has done in anticipation of what God will do, perhaps through you. And thirdly, part of that work requires that, that you claim this role at the intersection of justice and peace. Because it is in the reclamation of this role that we are actively working to, to bring about a new world that we envision possible. For it is indeed in Christ, through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, that peace is attained. It is in this intersection of seeking justice and pursuing peace that we find our charge. I'll tell you what I mean. I've said before that in carrying out letters to my daughters, I have affirmed that, that for myself, this is the ministry to which I have been called, that, that I have learned that there is power in telling your story. I have found Christ meet us in sessions where women are telling their stories. There has been resurrecting power present. There was one session when a woman stood up, and as she stood up, before she could even speak, her eyes welled with tears. And as she took her time, she began to share. She was a first-time mother. And she almost died bringing forth her first child into this world. She shared that this was the first time that she had space to reconcile with that. That this was the first time that she felt as though it was okay to name that. I believe that Christ met her in that moment. But that moment would have never happened if we were not obedient to the call of God at work through the ministry that God planted inside of us. There are so many women and girls and femmes who are carrying the weight of their stories, the trauma of their stories, the burden of their stories, the wisdom and expertise of their stories. But there are very few places where they feel safe enough to share them. When will the church, 
accept its charge of intentionally curating space for women, girls, and femmes to share their true selves. When will the church accept its role of curating space in anticipation of the modern-day Marys and Elizabeths who will be assured in their journey by sharing their story. We must curate spaces that are void of judgment based on how someone is dressed, void of ostracism because she doesn't act like a woman or girl should act, void of neglect simply because we're too busy to take the time to actually learn about her condition. This is the charge that I have accepted. And this is the world that I am imagining possible. But I ask you, what is your charge? I believe that God relates to us by giving us purpose. And so what is the matter to which God has called you to? You endowed with wisdom from the sharing and receiving of another's story. You assured by your role of checking God's record and affirming very much so that God has showed up for you in a specific way in the past in anticipation that God will show up for you and work through you in the future. You who are now standing at this intersection of justice and peace, what is your God-ordained charge? For after you have pursued radical peace, you must prepare for it. The thing about shalom, as I understand it, and being the kingdom of God, is that it is both in the here and is to come. And we must actively actively work to bring about human flourishing. I have used this example of black maternal health purely out of the fact that this is my work. But there are several issues to which we might all respond. The fact that education is not equitable in this country that is an issue to which we might respond. The fact that we are still placing our betrayal value on what it means to be human in this country, that is an issue to which we might respond. The fact that women are still making 70 cents on the dollar, that is an issue to which we might respond. And so my prayer is that in your seeking, that you would do so in the name of Jesus the Christ, in the name of God the Creator, and in the name of the Holy Spirit who is our ever-present help. My prayer is also that we would continue to find Christ in unexpected places. That even as you have not looked into perhaps this issue of black maternal health before, 
that you might also meet Christ there. And may you do so in the name of God, the creator, the redeemer, and the sustainer. Amen.